Would Jesus discriminate? It's a question that MCCs around the world are posing to the greater community, to other churches, to our neighbors. It's a question that is the title of the book by our executive director, Dr. Cindy Love. She calls it the 21st century question. Would Jesus discriminate? In many ways, this is a question that will determine the quality of life and love in the years to come. It's a powerful and potent question. It's a question that potentially will determine the level of violence. It's a question that speaks to wars in the broad universal sense and those individual conflicts with the person perhaps who's sitting next to us in the pew. It's a question that hits us close and intimately as well as far. Would Jesus discriminate? And how will we answer that question? Theoretically as well as in our individual actions. Would Jesus discriminate? It's a question that in many ways confronts the climate that we face in our communities. If this current election is any indication of the level of poison in our climate, then we have a lot of work to do. Because the environment in which we live is spiritually toxic. It's a practical question. It's a spiritual question. Would Jesus discriminate? Christians need to answer that question. Because studies show that most people of other faiths believe that Christians are intolerant. And many of them view Jesus based on what they see in the Christian community. And their view of Jesus based on the behavior of individual Christians is that Jesus does discriminate. How do we respond to that? How do we offer a counter voice to that? I was disturbed during a, when a, a recent rally when a question was asked, a comment was made, it was one that maybe you saw when a woman was talking about Barack Obama being an Arab. And John McCain took the microphone from her hand and was shaking his head and said no. Now many saw that as a courageous act. But what occurred to me was this. John McCain was responding to a discriminatory untruth with a discriminatory comment in saying that Barack Obama was not Arab, as if what is wrong with that? It was discrimination reinforcing discrimination. That's part of the climate in which we minister, in which we're called to respond. Would Jesus discriminate? I would love for Jesus to be here to answer that question himself. <laughs> In our Wednesday night Unbinding the Gospel offering, one of the things that we're doing is an interview of people who don't attend church and finding out 
their feelings about church and their feelings about God. And one of the questions that's asked in this interview is, if you could ask God any question, what question would you ask? And it's interesting what some of the people who don't attend church ask. Some have said they would ask God about why is there suffering in the world. Others have said they would ask God about uh, is there really a heaven? Some of these basic questions. I would love to ask Jesus today, would you discriminate? I can guess what he would answer based on the actions of his life. I think one thing that Jesus would say is, if you mistreat anyone who God's created, you are mistreating God. To mistreat anyone is to mistreat God. To discriminate against anyone is to discriminate against God. He modeled that through his own life. Everywhere he went, Jesus was breaking through barriers and tearing down walls. Helping people to rethink their lives and to move in different ways. Jesus offered an alternative. And he lived the question as well as posing the question. Would Jesus discriminate? At times he would discriminate against certain actions, but he would never discriminate against people. And the actions that Jesus challenged were those actions that in any way oppressed God's beloved. Jesus lived with a sense of unconditional compassion, unconditional love. But he did reserve his anger and he did reserve his option to challenge to those who oppressed anyone. And it tended to be the religious authorities of his time who did the oppression. Certain people were not allowed into the temple because they were considered unclean. Certain people were discriminated against because they were at a different economic level. And so Jesus challenged those religious authorities. And that's exactly what's going on in today's gospel. In today's gospel, Jesus is challenged by the religious authorities who are trying to catch him on a technicality. They want to shut him up because he is challenging everything that they have built and everything they've tried to protect. And so they try to get him with a legal question when they ask him, which is the greatest commandment? Now here's the challenge. There were 613 commandments. What they were trying to do was to get him to answer that question in such a way that he could be called a heretic. And then they could shut him up. Out of those 613 laws, 248 were things you had to do in order to be saved and right with God. If you didn't do one of those things, you were in trouble. You were outside of salvation. Can you imagine waking up every day with a 248 item to-do list trying to please God? Can you imagine trying to keep all that in your head? Well, they were trying to catch Jesus on this. Out of those 613 laws, 365 of them were don't-dos. So one false move and you were in trouble. They used these laws to weigh people down. They used these laws to discriminate against people. To catch them on technicalities. 
And so they were trying to catch Jesus on the same technicality that had been used against the community. They didn't want people to be free. They didn't want people to feel safe. So they wanted to shut Jesus up. And yet Jesus honored both tradition and principle when he answered their question in a surprising way. Jesus summarized the law this way and he was drawing on ancient scriptures from Deuteronomy and Leviticus when he said you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength with all of it and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On this hangs all the law and all the prophets. Jesus took those 613 do's and don'ts and offered them as a way of life and a blessing. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, all of it. And love your neighbor as yourself, all your neighbors. I was challenged last week when Dr. Love talked about how we have to individualize and personalize the Would Jesus Discriminate campaign. We have to answer that question ourselves. We have to say, do I discriminate? And she personalized that by saying, imagine who you would like sitting next to you in church. And who is the person who you would not want to sit with you for any reason? If you cannot invite them to sit next to you, then you are not ready to move forward with this campaign. I think we can broaden that question as a community as well. Here we need to think about who we don't want sitting next to us in church or who makes us uncomfortable if they're sitting next to us. Collectively, we need to think about our neighbors. Who do we not want in our country? Broaden the question. Who do we not want leading our country? These are tough questions and yet they determine the fullness and the abundance and the generosity and the openness of our faith. It's questions that all people of faith are called to wrestle with. It's getting back to that common ground. What Jesus was really trying to do here was to call those religious authorities back to a faith that was practical and real and compassionate. And I absolutely love the way that Carter Hayward describes this call and this mission, this practical love, this practical faith. Would Jesus discriminate? I believe that what distinguishes those who claim to be lovers of God and neighbor is not simply the claim to love God and neighbor. It's how the claim to love becomes real through the practice of love. How in real life do we love? How in the middle of war can we love our enemies? How do we illuminate the love of God and neighbor as a way of life? The prophetic message in Micah 6.8 tells exactly how to do this. Struggle for justice. Show mercy and kindness. Walk humbly with God. Justice making constitutes the how of God's love. Whether we experience it in between intimate lovers and friends or between ourselves and our enemies in the context of conflict, including war. God's wisdom, Sophia, opens us up to the possibilities of living in this spirit and realizing the possibilities for good and evil in all of us. Yet, 
Can we incarnate these spiritual gifts into our daily lives? Hmm. Those who have made change, those who have been prophets and reformers, have done so not so much by what they've said, but what they've done. They've lived it moment by moment. And it goes back to those early prophets, the prophets who came before Jesus, like Micah, who said to show mercy, live humbly, do it individually, personally, directly, and clearly. So how do we do it? With this Would Jesus Discriminate campaign, we have a chance to really take steps as individuals and as a congregation to be a part of the long line of reformers throughout faith history. Part of what Jesus was doing with those who challenged him was inviting them to rethink their faith, to make it not so much about the rules and the legalism, but about real life and how you treat each other. And that's what Jesus is doing in his call to us. He's inviting us to rethink. So how do we rethink ourselves? For one thing, I love the way that Jason, when he prays, sometimes says, God, we thank you that we are not victims, but victors. We are not victims. We are prophets. Can you imagine yourself as a prophet? I mean, we've heard enough about Joe the plumber. How about Janice the prophet and Kristen the prophet? Sean the prophet, Dan the prophet. What does it mean to be a prophet? It means to say and do things that bring about change. And if you are a reformer and a change bringer, then you are a prophet, offering a compassionate voice to our world. It is time for us to rethink ourselves. We are not victims. We are not the oppressed. We are prophets with a voice of unconditional love to extend to the nations, to stand in the gap like the prophets of old, saying we believe that we are called with a purpose true and a purpose bold. And we have a question for the whole world. Would Jesus discriminate? No, not on our watch. Oh, to be a part of that long line of prophets. God's beloved, God's called. God has raised us up and we are good enough to be prophets. We deserve to have a voice. We are a part of the long line of prophets and reformers like the Apostle Paul who reformed faith communities to grace rather than law. We are a part of the long line of prophets that includes Julian of Norwich in the 15th century. She saw that male images of God dominated. And she wanted to reform the thought about God to include the divine feminine. A God who nurses and nurtures and holds and keeps. And a God who's strong and gentle all at the same time. To reclaim an image of God. To reform the way we think. We're a part of that long line of prophets and reformers that includes Martin Luther who nailed his 95 thesis to the Wittenberg door because the church of that time had begun to abuse people. It's amazing how churches tend to go back to that. They go back to the law and they go back to abuse. They go back to power. Martin Luther helped to reform them back. We're a part of the long line of prophets and reformers that includes John Wesley, 
He found that the language of the church was no longer the language of the people. He found that in his time, the church was only appealing to the rich. So he reformed the church to minister in people's own language and to include all people, including the poor. In the 20th century, we have the prophet and reformer Dorothy Day, a wonderful Catholic woman who helped teach that compassion is rooted in contemplation. And she called the church back to spiritual practice, to prayer that had real results in offering food to the poor and to the hungry. We are a part of that long line of prophets and reformers, prophets like Martin Luther King Jr., who knew that this nation needed some reform when it came to equal rights for African Americans. We're a part of that same line. He holds our hand and we hold his. We're part of that long line of prophets and reformers that includes Gustavo Gutierrez, that wonderful Latin theologian who knew that theology had become stagnant. Theology had become bound up. And so in the early 70s, he began to offer a theology of liberation, a theology that talked about a God who was on the side of the poor and the oppressed, a God who offered an open hand, a God who stood on the margins and said, this is where the Spirit is, this is where life is. We are a part of this long line of prophets and reformers that includes the prophet, Reverend Troy Perry who knew that a time had come to include all people in the circle of God, in the circle of love. Troy Perry stood up and said that LGBTQIA people are invited into the temple. He opened it up. And now it really is our turn. We are called to be a part of this new and continuing reformation. The good news for us is that we don't have to nail 95 thesis to a door somewhere. Instead, we can take one thesis and wear it on our backs. Resurrection, MCC, asking the questions of MCCs around the world. Would Jesus discriminate? This is a question that can reform the church And as we take this message into grocery stores and neighborhoods and concerts and bars, imagine the conversations. Reforming conversations. Conversations of love and hope. We all can be a part of this. Who are we? We are prophets. And God has raised us up to offer our lives and our voices to speak truth. Who are we? We are a part of this long line of reformers offering a message of challenge, justice, equality, and love. Amen.